Good afternoon, you lot. Hope you're good. Oh, I'm not quite positioned in the little frame there, am I? There we go. How are we doing? It's another week. I know it seems a bit of a funny thing to say on a Wednesday, but it was bank holiday. Monday, Tuesday, I'm twin wrestling, and Wednesday, my first show this week. And it brings up this 200th episode, which is mad. Absolutely weird. That falls on the first of a month as well, which feels like a landmark in many ways. Uh, behind the scenes this morning, I was just uh, having our first few hours with our new managing director across our business group, which therefore is a big landmark for us as well as uh, she's got the tough task of actually being my boss, which is going to be a weird one for her. So we've got a lot of change, basically. 200 episodes of Chewing It Over on the 1st of September uh, with new staff starting as well. So quite exciting. And, and you'll hear more about that and how that's going to affect our clinical ops sometime soon. Also got some really cool announcements as MSKR as well coming in the next few weeks as everyone gets back from their holidays and start to get back into normal, some normalcy, especially with the new sort of uh, semesters of the unis and stuff like that. So there's a lot going on in September. And so we'll have some news to that effect as well, a bit of a reshuffle that we've done with MSKR, which uh, is certainly poised to shake things up once more. Um, but for this episode, we definitely wanted a special guest on, uh, wanted something to be getting excited for, and it coincides really well with Claire Minchel taking on her next cohort of her renowned SNC for therapist course, which has been um, so popular among so many. Uh, I've had, heard so much feedback, much of which completely unsolicited, you know, people getting in touch and saying, saw Claire at Therapy Live or heard her on the Physiomatters podcast and therefore have then paid attention to her work and various different things from one-off webinars that have really rocked people, but also this course and the community of practice that she's able to create around it. It's just been so popular. And so I've been hoping to have this chat with her particularly about like what makes it what makes a tick what influences her but also what's drawn her into our little world we're so lucky to have her um, thinking across these therapy topics MSK generally because uh, woman of many talents that could certainly have repurposed their skill set in many different places and, and probably doubled down on, on a research stuff so for her to be an educator especially for us in MSK we're very lucky so I wanted to just try and scratch beneath the surface a little bit and so I'm really pleased that Claire's been able to join me on what is this landmark episode um, so uh, thank you to those that are letting me know already that the, the uh, sound is working, you know, my usual paranoia over that. Um, so I'm glad that that's coming through loud and clear. And uh, and yes, big celebrations, 200 episodes. Can you believe it? And thanks for those that have uh, tuned into a few of them. You're very brave, tolerating my, uh, my voice on a daily basis. So appreciate it. Right. So without further ado, hopefully Claire can hear me. Claire, you there? I'm joking. <laughs> I knew you Sorry. were going to do that. I saw that coming. Oh, bad joke. Oh, I feel coming. like there should be somebody else coming on with that kind of introduction. I was waiting for them to pop through. <laughs> Don't you Thank go you. saying that even you get the imposter syndrome. None of that, please. Um, oh. But the, I hope you do recognise yourself in that analysis. You must have heard some of that as well. Your uh, your your reputation in the therapy game has just been... Whoosh, Oh, thank you. You've been so welcoming as a as a community, and uh, just people saying I can see hi on the on the chat as well. So Talita and Liz, hi, it's lovely to see you guys. Um, so yeah, you've been so welcoming. Um, I don't really feel like it's something really new for me though, because where I started was very much in MSK and MSK world with my PhD, and I just had the most blissful and unusual. Um, should we call it upbringing, I guess? <laughs> um, and it, it was very multi or interdisciplinary. And um, uh, so sports science, sports medicine, rehabilitation, uh, surgery, um, 
uh, like GP medicine, it was all kind of integrated right. uh, through the pioneering work of my absolute hero and, and best mentor in the world ever, Di Reese, uh, orthopedic right. surgeon in, in Oswestry. So he created that. And I just thought that was normal, you know. <laughs> so when I came out, I was like, mm. <laughs> so um, yeah, I, that's that. I feel very at home in in that kind of setting. Uh, right. Something I'm really passionate about, and, and you've just been so, you know, on social media, um, the community so welcoming, which is which is lovely. Good, because I, d- I don't want to frame it as if you're like an outsider or anything, because you, like you've said, it's it's completely compatible. But it's just that I think for me, looking on, uh, especially in, in prep for this show, but also looking into your work over the last few years and. And, you know, you've been so kind to, to be contributing to Physio Matters and Therapy Live and stuff now since we've been doing this over the last couple of years. But you just, I do, I do look on and think you, you could so easily, following your PhD, have just been a, been a postdoc tripling down on the number crunching and then creating, no doubt, translatable materials. But it didn't seem like, you know, it, it didn't seem so obvious that you inevitably were going to go into being the educator mm. you are now and really helping people that are reaching out to us to say just how applicable this material is in practice. I think that that's the bit why, as I say, I don't, I don't want to play it out as if you're an outsider, but it definitely just didn't seem like that that obvious a step. So I just wonder if you could tell us about what gives you that passion. Sure. Um, I guess, um, so I went into academia, or stayed in academia, should I say, after after finished my PhD. I, I went traveling the world for a year, had enough. <laughs> That's it. Definitely not going back into academia and I'll probably live in Sydney. <laughs> and I ended up coming back and coming back into uh, academia. Um, one thing that's never, never waned is my, my passion for research and in, in neuromuscular physiology. Um, it's just that I could not see uh, how I could be necessarily relevant outside that, that teaching at undergraduate, postgraduate, PhD level and doing more research and I couldn't see that transition and certainly when I was doing my undergraduate degree really the only career uh, was either physiotherapy which I didn't really have much exposure to or teaching um, sport (laughs) you know in education Um, so I just followed my passion in terms of research and then um, as I said the, the clinical upbringing I had did give me an insight into the relevance of the work that we were doing which I thought was pretty I mean it's, I guess it's reasonably kind of pioneering a, a PhD level but but only making a tiny little bit of a step forward um, I thought that was kind of fairly um, all, all the things I took for granted I thought that others would know as well right. and and I think through the career I had, um, I knew that I didn't want to become necessarily uh, continue on that convey and become a, a prof, as um, you know, many of my friends and colleagues are hugely successful, and I really admire them. But I knew there's something else in me that I didn't really know what it was. <clears throat> so um, I was very fortunate in that uh, a position was written for me uh in in edinburgh uh so i left full-time teaching and researching at nottingham trent university and led a collaboration between um university of edinburgh and queen margaret university and the trauma orthopedic department of the the royal infirmary to develop more relevant research if you like into directly into physiotherapy um 
following uh, trauma and orthopedic surgery and ideally preoperatively obviously you can't do that from trauma surgery but <clears throat> we're still working on that time machine <laughs> uh, but i'd already or, or, you know always had a clinical emphasis to my research so being at the orthopedic hospital in oswestry and translating that so i could i could see some of the relevance but i couldn't see how beyond going to academic conferences and publishing how that could really work and then through that time in edinburgh I really then got an insight into, I suppose, how the rest of the clinical world operated and what I really took for granted and, and as basic just wasn't being delivered or indeed even known about. And that's no criticism or any uh, negative connotation to anybody in that, that field. It just I could see this massive gaping hole where just a little bit of doing something that's that's not rocket science, I'm sure could translate into to better benefit. So that's where I really, really became more and more passionate about osteoarthritis and total hip and knee replacement, uh, rehabilitation and prehabilitation or conditioning, whatever you want to call it. So mm. that's where I saw the gap. And that's where I thought, okay, so maybe I could teach this to practitioners or share my knowledge, basically. I don't mean teaching sounds quite, um, <laughs> I don't know, big headed, but, but if I can share what I know with you who do the actual work, my impact, is likely, or the impact of that knowledge is likely to be bigger and better than if I was to publish it in an academic journal or um, go to a, a research conference, which both of which I, I love doing. Um, but it's it's the therapy community that has got the biggest impact. Yeah. Well, it's that practical application of it. The, 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 I've, I will overuse this expression, but that is where the rubber hits the road, right? There is eventually these concepts and theories need to be translated in practice embodied through therapists to patients so they need to be delivered it's very rare that that people some do of course you know there's some some patients and athletes that might grab that from the source you know they might be reading the primary materials but it's a rarer thing and that we need to try and get that translation right without it watering down if there's too many steps that chinese whispers effect that can occur i think um, it's, 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 um, it's, it's great that we've got you in amongst that can you just speak to what you feel the primary concepts were that you were taking for granted and assuming were maybe widespread and, and, and should have been being translated to the masses that weren't doing, that has then fueled this fire that you're describing? Some of the really basic things uh, like strength, and that's why I focus a lot on strength in a lot of my classes. I think right. it has to be the first thing we address because when it is addressed, it's not often not addressed properly. And then we move on to the next thing and we've missed a critical step. So I do remember when I was doing my PhD, um, initially I was sponsored by a, a company uh, in collaboration with the, the clinical setup to offer a almost like prehabilitation service and assessment and screening center for, you know, premiership football, Olympic athletes and the like. So when I was contributing to that, and again, I was so blessed to be, in, you know, as a PhD student, I got to contribute to these designs of these programs and talk with the physiotherapist. And, a strength training program at that time, which this shows how old I was, um, <laughs> or I am, that was about 2000 and 2001, um, that a strength training program might involve jumping and sprinting. I'm like, mm. So that's when I started to think, hang on a minute. So it, it, th those are the, the critical things. And then some of the things that, again, I couldn't really make sense of is if, so, you know, the, the therapist's job is the hardest job in the world because you've got 
well, the psychology to get buy-in and, and trust, but then you've got the design of the best program to elicit optimal adaptation across a multitude of, of factors. Right. Um, but, you know, if you've got somebody, and then you've got people who are symptomatic or in, in, in you know, pain or clinical restrictions. Now, if you've got somebody who is symptomatic at a particular joint position, again, I've seen at that time, the tendency is like, okay, just drop the load. I'm like, oh, no, 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 because we need... If we need to get stronger, if we drop the load and you've got to do loads of stuff at submaximal intensity, is that not wasting everybody's time? You know, you might get a little bit of change of something, but if you're really saying that that needs to happen, let's design the exercise, adapt the exercise, keep the specificity, whatever it is, and then um, change the parameters of that exercise so that you can do what you want to do with that patient and they can adapt in such a way. So just some of the basic stuff, like exercise design and prescription, really. And in then the everything's same, built on top of that. Sorry, in the same time frame, it's been fascinating to see that then we've come to understand that some of the assumptions as to why people were dropping the load off or or backing off the intensity on whatever variable was because it was seen as being somehow caring or protective of that person that it would be less, then less painful. Whereas yeah. tennis is a perfect example. We now have the evidence to demonstrate that that's not the case and that, that essentially all you were doing was then making the intervention less effective and it didn't have then have a knock-on effect on it being somehow more compassionate because it was less painful. We know that essentially loading these things heavy was no more painful. In fact, some evidence to suggest it can help to, help to modulate it. So why not get on with it? And I think that it's been an interesting thing from what you're describing for you've noticed those practical variables of poor application, say in the therapy game, but then simultaneously, at least that's just probably my naivety is to me, it's almost like simultaneously we've ended up with the research within say the sort of uh, pain sciences, as well as some of the applied work on therapies. You probably had insight into that you know, for you. It might be, and that's what was informing your judgment. But to me as a clinician, it's felt like that wave of knowledge has actually come to support that work where I think that that's one of the things that's been so exciting and why there's a proliferation of interest in S and C um, amongst, amongst the, the, the therapists. Do you feel that we've made significant strides at all in that direction or do you still encounter the same deficits and gaps that you're describing from, from decades back? I really do actually. So a good example is when I, when I first ran my first, course uh for therapists so um s and c if you like and again it's strength and conditioning is, is, is something that people tag on to what we're doing and it's probably a buzzword it's not necessarily strength and conditioning it's about exercise prescription and getting neuromuscular physiology right but that's not you know quite as sexy is it so <laughs> it's a but, I, cool jargon yeah, at the moment isn't it yeah, yeah. I, I i don't care what it's called as long as we can we can talk about it um mm. but when i asked the group um what is muscle strength? I must have got about six or seven different definitions, which then it, it highlights that if you think of something, you know, we're doing the same thing essentially, but we're not. So if we, you know, if we're, we're following a protocol or a, a guideline, then it's conceivable that our patients, if they were genetically exactly the same, they'd end up at different places because we had a different understanding of what things are. Or if we, you know, transfer care to people, it's just, it's a mess. So, um, it's just getting some of those things really, really uh, solidified. And I do see, you know, over the past few years, that is much, much better now. Right. And um, it, we, we can start to advance some of the, the concepts. You know, I, I used to get asked a lot about electrical stimulation, and blood flow restriction training, and all different modalities that, that 
are an adjunct and can be really useful adjuncts to to bringing about conditioning, particularly in, in um, rehabilitating populations. But if we haven't got the building blocks right and we haven't got the understanding right, then it's really a moot point because probably you're going to get about 80 percent plus more of the, the adaptation by doing the basics very, very well. Right. Then we can bring on or even just understanding frequency of stimulation and um, percentage of occlusion, what you really want to achieve. Um, and I get it as well, you know, from the pain perspective, you want to, you know, you don't want to do any harm. So do no harm. Let's not cause pain. Absolutely. Completely understand that. And also the time pressures in clinical settings. And then, you know, you, you've got patient loads that now are probably bigger than they've ever been and, and tremendous expectations. You're looking for those potentially quicker fixes. So I get where it, where it comes from. Um, but, you know, just to take a breath, sit back and think about basic neuromuscular physiology of somebody proper exercise prescription adapt a little to suit that individual you're still going to make fantastic gains versus doing more of a, a sporadic approach um without a proper yeah. understanding why yeah i think what, what's been interesting as well for me observing i don't know if you've seen uzo ahioge has been mentioning this quite a lot recently quite, a, quite he's been taken aback in his own studies as to just how much of a gap there was for him as he pursues more snc understanding and, 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 and tr truly understanding some even the jargon and principles in and around say say strength he's been quite reflective about those those gaps uh, to, to to some criticism uh, and, uh, and he's been brave in, in sharing that but what I'm pleased to hear is that there has been some progress in your opinion in that direction, although I think there's always an interesting sample bias, isn't there, for those that are yeah. coming to, yeah. and, and also even I see that from people that are listening to our materials and stuff, is that it's great to hear yeah. from them that it's changing them, but they still they still press play on a podcast like this yeah. that says SNC for therapists is clearly a, a, an interest of sorts. The things that you've mentioned there that I definitely want to explore with you another time probably is that, that when I've w watched your analysis of adjunctive modalities, BFR, um your whole body vibration blog that i read recently just you know it's something that i i wouldn't say i dismissed but i definitely parked a long yeah. way from my priority that's you know funny I mean? yeah it? oh yeah, exactly because you like loss no it's ridiculous <laughs> but i think that you know if i was being sort of generous with myself to say part of the reason is because its application is so often so fad like right it's that the often people that are touting it as an adjunct to what already seems like not appropriate application of fundamentals, right? I, I watch them, they perceive that they're applying really sensible exercise prescription specificity to really niche, supposedly uh, recruitment-esque motions and movements, right? That they then say, and then do that on a power plate. And I'm like, well, I, I'm pretty <laughs> confident you full of shit here, and it feels <laughs> like you're then just vibrating it there, and therefore I've I've then thought it's fad-like because of its application. Whereas yeah. watching you unpack the use of those adjuncts then on a good baseline and bring the evidence to bear on it has definitely opened my mind to the fact that right now that we get hopefully getting some of the basics right, there are yeah. these supplementary things that could that could add that value, and I think that you and a few others in this space have really helped to. To, to, to carve out that quality and, and therefore improve outcomes when actually I think we had become a bit blinkered and that that that, uh, that there weren't these accessory modalities or, or, or adjuncts that we could apply. Um, do you still feel people grasp for those interesting, novel, shiny things more than they should or are people being a bit more judicious? I mean, 
you're gonna you're gonna get that in in every arena, aren't you? You know, thinking about I don't know, setting up a business, and you want to you have the people that tout this is how you build your list, this is the step to the next million, and that kind of thing. You're always going to get those things in in every um, arena. Um, what I, I don't know, I, I I ultimately don't know because this is you know these types of things are coming in the the advanced course, which is in preparation. Um, so I guess I'll I'll see as I start to ask those questions more on mass, you know, get more of a hundreds, thousands of responses rather than, you know, kind of in the, the scores up sure. to. But yeah, I get I get why they're there and I really do understand why, you know, physio, you know, physios, therapists are educated people. When you see shit in the media, you you, you can call it and then like vibration is just just a lot of rubbish. <laughs> And in many, many applications, it is. But if we come back to, you know, why it's got to there, well, there's been this stupid leap of, and I won't even say it's a leap of faith, a misrepresentation right. of the neurophysiologic um, parameters and thus stimuli and thus adaptations from what was you know, some of the original research and you know, kind of NASA-based uh, applications to reduce bone mineral or attenuate bone mineral density loss and uh, skeletal muscle muscle mass loss through then to okay now we can buy a little plate on on Amazon for eighty dollars or your hundred quid or whatever it is and you know we can shake cellulite away you can make you fitter you know just oh brilliant you've got these fashion models on them oh gosh come on that's absolute rubbish but that's only what you see you know that's you haven't right. got time to go and dig into the academic literature and trace that back and see okay there is some real application here in the right patient populations at the right time then whole body vibration in the right frequency again looking at that specificity um overload and progression uh, model then we could get some really good changes and maybe that enables us then to move on to other things but you know, the way it's, it's uh, propagated on mass currently, I really get why people are thinking you know, that. Without mad claims of its mechanism of effect, I think that's the thing. I mean, I spoke uh, last yeah. week about this um, in refer referring in that case to manual therapy, and I was saying about how really the application matters less than the claims made about its mechanism of effect, right? And that's the same thing here is to, you know, it needs to be sort of couched within its appropriate um science and it's and it's it's something that that's therefore can be can be tempered but can be applied really well i had simon bartold at the run chat live conference that matt phillips organized a couple of years ago talking about how his he thinks that the attenuation of vibration is one of the key reasons that things like the vaporfly footwear technologies are, are, yeah. are really breaking through and, and he said that the way in which that seems to be um reducing fatigue when he looked at kipchoge and things like that and he was just really interesting he, he admitted that he was sort of spitballing a little bit but a couple of years yeah. ago and i'm sure he's pursued that line of reasoning since but you know the the, the the opportunity for these things to come to the fore and for us to to think on that cutting edge is an exciting area where in rehabilitation circles people have thought that as we've tried to concentrate on fundamentals people have thought that that then will lead to it being inevitably boring for another decade right as if there's not going to be things that we can pursue to try and to, to try and ex accentuate the recovery of of athletes and so again uh, your work and others are really helping us to see that this stuff is interesting is novel you can apply innovation in a manner that that's 
that then isn't gimmicky and 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 uh, and then tokenistic with with the application of, of adjuncts. It's understanding the tools, isn't it? You know, just as mm. you would with it with any application or mechanics and whatever you use <clears throat> tools for a specific job. Yeah. And I think the the analogy is very similar in in this setting. So you've got a specific application. And, you know, as I said, you've got the hardest job because you've got patients that are in pain, they're inhibited, they're hesitant, consciously, subconsciously, all these kind of things. Then we're looking for, you know, to break that cycle um, and to try and stimulate adaptation, progression uh, mm. and the like. So then, you know, that's that makes sense to me to 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 see whether we've got some potentially efficacious tools, as I said, with the right in the right setting. Yeah, I didn't. Um, I've um, just posted a link into. This is for the webinar as a pre a precursor to your course uh, that we're talking about that you're now recruiting to. And if people use the website link there, they'll be able to find and and sign up for for the course. We've got some questions coming in on the, on the chat about it. Uh, one of them that's that's definitely well worth us going to now is: Would your course be useful for virtual physiotherapy? Uh, hi, Claire. Great name. <laughs> Um, absolutely. So this was really interesting when um, COVID actually hit. Um, I was just enrolling into one of the courses at that time, uh, or the pandemic and shutdown kind of hit. So mm. everybody on, you know, all 150 people or whatever, everybody was operating virtually. Um, so yes, it's it's absolutely relevant for, for virtual physiotherapy. And, and indeed, some of the, the models that, that were um developing right now and pursuing involves a virtual um prescription and guidance of exercise either the problem or the logistics is then slightly different so is it that the person's at home and you're thinking about how do i develop overload at home and we talk about that a lot on the courses and some of the uh, guided sessions so yeah it's it's a application is is very uh, relevant for for virtual Good. And, and there's a few other more specific questions on the geography. James Morgan asking about when you're bringing it to Exeter, um, which, which Anna's then answered. Anna, yeah, Anna Maria, yes. So we've got a, a live in-person course uh, happening in Exeter in, I think it's at the end of October. Um, Brilliant. Possibly um, somebody will be able to <laughs> tell me where I am. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll go. Another date's all on your website. Yeah. So if you go back, go to getbacktosport.com. You'll be able to see the course I've just been talking about, which is enrolling as of today for another couple of weeks uh, for the online course. And then there's some in-person courses as well, um, which are, I think it's about five or so on there, um, which, again, in the in-person course is listing, um, mm. which is, yeah, down at the, the school with Anna Maria. Great. Claire, Claire and Talita have enjoyed our language on the on calling out bullshit. Feels like the appropriate term. I don't think either of us are especially swearing, but it felt appropriate back then. Um, one of the one of the follow ups that Claire's just posted is she's asking after this sort of muscle testing, um, etc. Would that would that lend itself as well as in person? Yeah. So I guess how how do you test muscle currently? Um, and do you have dynamometry setups that you can use, which is great. Not every clinic does. So then we're thinking about the, again, the logistics of what you have and who you have in front of you and what represents that challenge. So as we become less and less dynamic, dynamometry focused, it becomes more and more easy to do. But the maybe the applicability, the resolution of that measurement is, is slightly less. So again, that's another thing we talk about a lot. Right. Um, but 
for example, a sit to stand with a, a, an osteoarthritic person with an osteoarthritic knee who's been deconditioned, sat on a waiting list for a year, that might represent a very strength focused exercise. They might only be able to do three repetitions. So such then that becomes a, some sort of indication of a strength capacity. It's not exactly, but again, what, what is it that you've got around you that you're able to use? Or indeed send out some danimometers to, you, to your uh, uh, patients. Well, that's what I, that's that's what we're working up to is trying to get these things. You know, like I don't know if you ever um, heard about it or, or might know about when people used to send out tens machines and have like a twenty tens machines in every department and stuff, right? I'm thinking that really, if it proliferates on the technology and we can get the access right as well as the you know the, the regimen right, yeah. then dynamometry being able to be in hands of, of more patients and, and, and for them to yeah, participate. Also working it. on that as well, Jack. Also, yeah, good. It, it, the thing is, it's it's that fine balance as well, isn't it? Between, I guess we've seen that happen with the development of phones. So, um, you know, wearable technology and, and phone technology that records um, steps and distance and the like. You know, the start of that technology journey wasn't very very accurate, and a pedometer on your wrist versus one on the on the uh, the, the hip. Um, another example, but you know, it, I think that's the the, the issue with dynamometry currently that's that's available you sacrifice you know make it cheaper more accessible more usable unless you're going to keep the price point high which makes it probably inaccessible then you're going to have to compromise somewhere down the line so mm. when components become i guess cheaper then maybe that will get somewhere closer to just having that resolution and also just especially with dynamometry it's one of the things that we no no device can 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 account for poor technique or poor understanding yeah. of what yeah. it is you're testing really that's one of the things that we've been trying to work on um recently um and we've got some more yeah. stuff coming out there and we'll, we'll probably we can chat off there and make sure we're not we're not uh duplicating there mate we can collaborate no doubt but um i know we're, i don't want to take advantage too much of, of your time you've been generous to join us today anyway but what I wanted to just finish with was just if you could tell folk a little bit about the format of your course as well as I'll put that link back up, because one of the things that we've heard so much about is this, because you do it in cohorts, you know, because yeah. some people just have that say it's um, it's it's online and it just rolls, whereas you do this in sort of cohorts. But from what I understand, you do that for a reason, because then almost like a community emerges around that that's then yeah. really self-supportive and then continues on ongoing. So could you just tell us a little bit about what people might expect if they were to, to look at your your course? Yeah, sure. So it enrolls twice per year. And one of the reasons is very much for that, as you're saying, Jack, in that, you know, with online courses, and I set this up way before COVID. Um, so I, I was thinking about what do you miss when you go online versus in person? Now, I can only be in one place at one time <laughs> currently. Um, so if I go online, that means that, you know, more people can access this stuff, but there's going to be something that's that's missing. So what I wanted to try and recreate was that community. So you get peer-to-peer -peer learning and you get um, um, different takes on things. You get different disciplines. You also get, you know, some of me talking live. So that's why we, we enroll twice per year rather than just having it as a, an ongoing thing. And then I do a six-week guided implementation as well. So this course is, you know, once you've bought the course, it's yours forever. You've got right. lifetime access. So I don't want to shut you down and you're, you're busy, shit happens. Said shit again. And again. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, you need to be able to work at your own pace. So it's formatted in such a way you don't have to sit down for two hours every evening to get stuff done, chunked into nice 
manageable um, self-contained units. Um, also lifetime access, as I said, but also we have a six-week guided implementation, live Q&As in a, in a closed Facebook group, which has now got way in excess of, I don't know, six, 700 therapists from around the globe from that have done this particular course. They come back in periodically and join the sessions. Um, and all those all those uh, live Q and A's are recorded, so you can submit your questions in advance if the time frame doesn't quite meet you where you are in the world. Um, so it's this lovely, lovely community. And, and as I said, because people are in there who've done the course previously, um, I sometimes can take a step back. Often I'd like to, because other people can help each other. And often they've got far better ideas than I have. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's it's it really did that purposefully because i feel like that can be missing a lot from from online courses um and then you yeah. know you've got if you look on the website you'll be able to see all the different modules but i'm interested yeah. i mean so I'm, I'm definitely open to get a bit of a sneak peek on that because i've been hearing so much about how the application of it across different contexts in different health systems with different you know specific needs when people are asking for support or or just asking for guidance or peer reviewing each other's work a little bit just be it just sounds like such a melting pot of ideas that that's exactly how innovation is going to occur and, and, and bringing that specificity to bear for, for that bespoke application rather than the mm. cookie cutter approaches that, that used to be. We've not touched on three sets of 10, have we? But uh, we, could, we could go that way and think about the sort of almost protocolized application of what was supposedly strength training or exercise prescription historically. So the fact that this stuff's getting tailored and being grappled with and people are really thinking about their yeah. programming is so is so exciting. Um, I think as well, the the way in which community of practices and emerge around work, we've obviously been, been privy to that ourselves over the years. And, and we've found that the biggest thing is that they've got something in common that is yeah. that is a piece of content or a resource. You know, the, the whole thing when we built our think tank really was that MSKR and the big R's that preceded it was born out of the fact that people had a radio show in common, right? When, when Physio Matters as a podcast was one of the only shows in town, really. Yeah. People listened to that on a regular basis and therefore could start a conversation in third gear rather than in first gear yeah. it just got them ahead and then it sounds like a similar phenomenon has been around your course when people have got that baseline they've got that common purpose and therefore they can work together knowing that they're not going to offer any faux pas on the language or the jargon and they kind of can refer back to that material so please i do encourage everyone uh, to to have a little look I've, I've put the link in the in the chat wherever you might be listening to this barring maybe Instagram and LinkedIn. I'm not sure if it shares there, but I'll try to chase that up in the comments. But uh, get back to sport.com, and then there are there is a link in the chat uh, to book into Claire's next course cohort. And as I've said, it's so highly recommended by so many uh, that, that uh, listen to our material. So it's clearly compatible, as we suspect, with our with our values as well. And so please do check that out and get booked on uh, before you miss out. Anything else you want to wrap up with there, Claire? I know we're into overtime, but uh, anything else uh, we forgot to forgot to cover? No, no. That, I mean, it's, it's always a love, uh, lovely to chat with you and and, and others. And, and uh, yeah, just thanks, thanks for having me on. Thanks for the nice plug. And I, I hope you know if anybody's got any questions, I'm always happy to to answer them. Um, so just reach out to me. You probably know where I am on social media, or there's a 
uh, contact me on the on the website. So really happy. Really, no, that's it. Let's just keep keep the conversation rolling. Not just with, with us, of course, but yeah, do reach out to Claire or if you need to via us. If you have any further questions, particularly any technical ones, let's get you uh, signed up on that course. Do not miss out. I know it's going to be popular, and it's literally just open. So like an hour just before we came on or something, Claire had said it's now it's now live. So yeah, if you're keen to to get on that next cohort, then do snap that up. And the webinar is tonight, and it, it gets repeated mm -hmm. in a couple of days' time. Yeah, so it's a live webinar tonight at 7, and then it's also repeated at midday tomorrow as well, also live as well. Brilliant. Um, yeah. Brilliant. Okay, no, that's great. So make sure you, you found those links. If you can't, then let me know and we'll make sure we get them to you. But for now, that's uh, that's it from me and Claire. I'll see you tomorrow for more Chewing It Over. I'm pretty sure, I'm just going to double check. But yeah, tomorrow I'm being joined by Finn Robinson who responded to my podcast last week about FCP or was it two weeks ago with Keith Graham. He said he has a bit more of a positive take than we would get. I was inviting people to give the contrasting view and he reached out to me on LinkedIn saying he agreed with some stuff, disagreed with others. So we're going to get stuck into some stuff about FCP tomorrow, um, which I'm looking forward to. Uh, but otherwise, we'll see you for more Chewing It Over through September. Thanks for joining me for this 200th episode. It's been about honor. It's an honor. How exciting. <laughs> yeah, uh, hitting all sorts of landmarks, coming up to 100 Physio Matters episodes as well, which is cool. So, yeah, we're wow. getting all sorts of milestones. But, yeah, thanks as ever, Claire. We'll speak soon, mate. All right. Bye. Sarah, bye. -bye.